Walk in the spot and it's lights, cameras, action Well executed, I'm the main attraction Engaging vibes is where I wanna be Enchanting lights and smiles is all you see <laughs> So I ain't thinking about the next one Snapping pics, they be loving my fashion Great drinks, great friends, and it's flowing well It's the perfect event, shout out Riel episode of the Riel's Events Podcast. We're a business podcast all about elevating boring events to enchanting engagements for your nonprofit organization, corporation, and small business. I'm your host, Riel Jones. I am so excited for this week's interview and for you to hear like just the phenomenal conversation I had with Quentin Harris. He's a friend of mine from MIT. He is a wonderful designer, just a brilliant guy. He is one of the few people who, who can use the left and right side of his brain um, as an MIT alum, but also as a designer. Um, he's worked with incredible marketing firms like Digitas, as well as a really cool startup, Forum Hair Care. We talk about his journey. We talk a lot about how to engage people at events and the marketing aspects of events as well as just a lot of great nuggets to think about when you're hosting your future gathering. Before this podcast is over, go ahead and follow us and rate us on iTunes and your podcast app or wherever you're listening to this podcast. I don't want to give too much away, so let's jump into it. How's your day been? Oh my gosh. I mean, I'd say the last three weeks have been just nuts. (laughs) We've been sprinting to hit some pretty lofty revenue goals um, mm-hmm. for Q4, and everybody's just running around with their heads cut off. Um, I think our process is getting a lot better, um, but I, I guess, like, to make the adjustment as well as, like, sprinting, mm-hmm. full-out sprinting to the <laughs> goal has been really crazy. Like, it's like... It's almost like building a car while driving it. Wow. Or driving a car while building it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a phrase. Wow. Yeah. That's so intense. But, like, are you loving yeah. it? Like, is it still kind of... Um, I, you know, I kind of learn... I, I love what I'm learning about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, love, I, I love that I'm learning about my values. I'm learning about, um, you know, looking past the surface and really uh, doing what's best for not only myself, but for my family. Uh, doing what's best for people, right, that I'm right. in service to, um, and not compromising on those values, um, learning how to, um, you know, speak up, and learning how to manage, and learning a lot of cool things, and I think that's the part that gives me hope right now, uh, Yeah. Uh, in, outside of all these other things that are happening, so, um, yes, short answer is, <laughs> I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying what, I am, I am amazed by what I am learning in such a uh, short amount of time, but yeah. I, but I am, uh, but I am. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not fun sometimes. Right, right. I definitely understand yeah. that, especially yeah. like when you when you're being stretched as a leader, um, especially from being a creative, where like part of it is like you want to have feedback and like get what like, the overall picture is going to be with your team, but, like, as a leader, it can be very different. You have to be more, like, 
firm, I guess. I don't know. It's, I yeah, think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to be very uh, consistent too. Yeah. Um, because it's, some, it's, it's almost like raising a child. It's not really the same parallel, but like, you know, having the boundaries set, um, having very uh, consistent communication, um, you know, doing what you say, right, or what you right. believe, you say you believe, things like that. Um, yeah, it's a it's a whole it's a whole new ball game that I'm learning, and I think it's it's fitting because like right now, I'm learning how to be a co-leader in my household. You know, right, right. Um, I just got married uh, in May. Congratulations. I saw your uh, wedding video, it, the dance, it was so cute. And it went like viral yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, kind of, little, little, low key, little viral. Uh, it was funny <laughs> because uh, like all those, those were all the dances we did in college. Yep, yep. It felt like a, it just felt like a, like a, like a, like a time machine. Like it was, it was yes, amazing. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think, I brought that up because, like, you know, I'm sharing my, I'm sharing the kingdom now, you know. And exactly. I think, um, a lot of the parallels, I could draw a lot of parallels from my day-to-day experience at work to just my marriage, and it's been, it's been good. That's been great. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out how I capture it all, you know. Is it writing it down? Is it journaling? Is it, you know, blogging? Is it, um, you know going to meet up groups and all that stuff. So. Right, right. Yeah. That's definitely yeah, so. exciting and inspiring as someone who's like completely single and alone. Um, <laughs> that's like Aww. my goal one day to like, I mean, I know it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination because you're learning somebody in a new way and you're yeah. also learning yeah. to communicate another way and seeing like their deeper goals or even things that like perhaps you didn't know you didn't fully agree on, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. That's right. A couple episodes yeah. ago I interviewed a couple and the wife was like, one time Kari the wife is Tunisia and the husband's Kari and she's like, one time Kari just said, you know, we don't have the same religious beliefs exactly and she's like, Wait, what? Like, <laughs> oh wow! This yeah. win, like yeah. you know, and it's, it was slight differences. It wasn't like overall, but it was like, you know, just her approach was more spiritual than his. Um, and yeah, things you kind of learn over time. Like, whoa, that's kind of <laughs> interesting. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I think um, that a little bit to what you were saying. I think it's even. I think people don't talk about like how you adjust to the person that you, your partner's like evolution right. in life too. Cause you, nobody stays the same. And I think sometimes, you know, you may fall in love with someone um, for, you know, who they were seven years ago. I'm using my example for my wife, yeah. um, but my wife is a very different person seven years later. And so like, how do I learn to fall in love with her every day? Yeah. Or, you know, really love, fall in love with the idea of who she wants to be. Yeah. she has an idea of where she wants to go in her life. And, you know, I want to be that supportive person that can change and evolve with her, adapt to that, you know? Right, right, right. That's so mature because you mean a lot of, too, older men, they still haven't gotten that. They They feel very fixed on the idea of their partner versus, you know, 
seen an evolution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, none of this wisdom is my own. It's usually from the OGs giving me that very same thing. Right. Like you have some really woke ones, and then you have some really, you know, asleep ones. Right. And, uh, you learn from both. Exactly, know? exactly. Yeah. Are you originally from um, New York? No, no, I'm originally from Chicago. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in a small town right outside of Chicago on the west side um, called um, Maywood. Maywood. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Maywood is very much known for its, its basketball. Um, you know, my, um, my high school produced, like, Doc Rivers, wow. who's the coach of uh, L.A. Clippers. Yep. Um, Michael Finley, um, who was a really good basketball player. Um, uh, Shannon Brown, who at one time played for LA and was married to Monica. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, in Atlanta, I mean, we love Monica, so. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of other folks, too. But um, yeah, we were, I mean, you know, the village of eternal light, we were uh, small, small town. I mean, it was very much so an extension of Chicago. Mm-hmm. If not, it was Chicago at the time. Um, you know, basketball was kind of a thread, but, um, you know, I think in recent years, at least my experience with the town is very impoverished. Uh, the word that I like to use is disenfranchised, so mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of, like, change or businesses there. Um, you know, the, the school systems weren't that great, um, and the high school had its challenges too, but you know, I was fortunate to have um, an honors program and an AP program that was it was able to be a part of. Um, so yeah, it was it was like kind of like this weird like we're kind of in the burbs, but we're not the burbs yeah. type of situation. Yeah, I definitely you know? get that. Uh, yeah, so um, you know, drugs and, and, and gang violence was very very much so a thing. Um, yeah, so I mean. Granted, uh, we just have a very unique, I'm, I'm still really trying to figure out that unique thing that Maywood kind of makes me feel. And I mean, it's like, I know we produce a lot of art, artistic people too. Right. So like, um, you know, I, I myself, I, I consider myself an artist, but you know, more along the lines of a designer. My twin brother is an illustrator. Uh, my mom was a singer. Um, my older brother's a singer. And a, and a DJ, um, you know, there's a handful of artists that we came up with, right. really good illustrators, painters, all that stuff. I think the arts is something that, like, has been there, and we're trying to figure out, like, my cohort, my, my people are trying to figure out, you know, how do we make Maywood really kind of, a, a, like, an artistic kind of epicenter, almost like, like a Harlem, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. can you go there? And get a lot of like knowledge about culture, but also really experience like really authentic art. Um, and it be, you know, predominantly black community that's producing it and, you know, exchange of wealth and all that stuff. Like one of my friends just had a, a dope show um, this past Saturday, actually called the Currency Exchange. And the whole idea was to um, explore uh, kind of the how how as a society we treat money mm-hmm. and we treat wealth um and so like 
he had about six different artists curate original pieces for that show. Um, and he did it on the warehouse in the, on the, on, uh, um, in the city in, in Chicago. And he had such an amazing turnout. Uh, one, one, one group of folks that, um, that I grew up with, they're a music group now and they, cre- they created an original song for it. It's like a four person like group. Oh, wow. Almost like, uh, yeah, it's like three, three rappers and a vocalist. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, the song is, really good yeah it's almost like it it scared me how good it was (laughs) (laughs) because i was when i was listening to it because they they made a um they made a mixtape this this summer called summertime summertime shy and most of my most of everybody that i grew up with lives in chicago proper now but i was listening to the mixtape and you know they've been making music since we were in high school right they were just like good then their their stage name is uh forever forever undefined Okay. Um, I'm gonna have to look so them up. Go, yeah. So I, they they they, they uh, created this mixtape, and I was listening to it. I said, "Wow! Not only is the production quality good, like the content, the the way they told the story about he just having fun in Chicago was yeah. just very. Um, it was very authentic, um, and it and it and it was just felt good. Like I was like, "Wow, we made this. <laughs> from where I grew up, made this." Right. You know, like, yeah, it was just excellent, right? And I think the show on Saturday that we had um, was just a reflection of that. And one of my 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 one of my best friends growing up, his name is Llewellyn. He was a, he was a groomsman in my wedding. Um, he was the one who curated the show, mm-hmm. and he had a partner that he did it with. And just everything that happened in that show and the stories that he told from it just blew my mind. Like the dude thought like 360 about the entire brand experience that he wanted for the show and he had everything from t-shirts that were made live at the show right and he was selling yeah. them to people and the guests to having like food that had the logo printed on the food yes. like, his mind the way he like thought about this and the way it came together i was like i was so impressed you know and this this was a guy who looked he claimed to look up to me you know to, <laughs> um because he's also like an art director, graphic designer, mm-hmm. um, but I, he's much better graphic designer than I am, I believe. Um, and uh, you know, he just this was his moment where he was like, I had his vision and I want to do it, and we encouraged him to do it. You know, he surrounded himself with a group of people that could make it happen. I gave me so much hope because you know, I, I I get so sometimes I get a little lonely out here in Silicon Valley, and not just because. Um, not just because of like you know they always talk like oh, it's not, where are all the black people at, or, <laughs> right. you know, uh, you know all the nonsense. Like it is a valley, you know. Uh, you know, tech tech is very big out here, and I mean as a creative folk person, I like tech, but like sometimes I'm just like I don't want to uh, have a conversation about tech all day. Yes, and, yes, um, yes. You know, I feel a little lonely, right? And I I think. Now I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm starting to see, like, I'm starting to really kind of recognize my identity a bit more mm-hmm. in this space. But then I'm also seeing people from my, you know, my hometown, my 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 family. I would consider um, starting to grow up and and uh, and do amazing things too, and expanding past that. Like it's almost like. 
I'm like proud now, you know, and right. weird. like I almost like one day I'll maybe go back, you know, cause I had, I never thought I would. Right. 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 You know? Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I miss, I miss home a little bit. Um, but now it's like, how do you create home here? You know, where, you, where you at? Yeah. I definitely identify with that. I'm in Detroit now. Um, and I'm not from here. So like I, I moved up here because I was dating someone, um, who I started dating when I was at Wellesley and I thought like I would marry him. It did not work out (laughs) at all. No, he wasn't. He, um, he was already like in a professional field and everything. But I I started dating him, and I was flying back and forth to Detroit on all of our, like, winter breaks and, like, um, yeah. my any free time I had, I'd come here. And yeah. um, after working in Atlanta for a couple years, I decided to, like, come up here again for love. It didn't work out, but I love Detroit. At first, I felt yeah. so lonely here, though, because yeah. I don't have any family here, like, there's one wealthy person that I, I knew live here lived here and she doesn't live here anymore. Um Oh really? Yeah. Was that, uh, was that Whitney? Um, no, Lindsay Peters. Oh, Lindsay Peters, okay. Yeah. No, Coleman. Lindsay Coleman. Lin- Lindsay Coleman. Um Coleman. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so Wait, Lindsay Coleman? Yeah. She light skin? Like Yeah, she wait. She moved she moved from Chicago? No, I, I, she's, she's from Detroit. Well, she is from Detroit. But I don't know, right. but she don't, she doesn't live, she hasn't lived here since I've been up here, oh, is what I'm right, saying. that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, so, like, I don't, I didn't know anybody up here, and, like, I don't okay. know the Midwest culture. Like, I didn't even know there was, like, a Midwest culture. Um, but, <laughs> but after a year and a half, like, of really being here, grinding, working with a lot of different people and like really meeting some good like some good people that like are doing amazing stuff like I'm starting to feel like it's home and I'm starting to feel like I have um family here even though like they're not related to me that's amazing so I can say that like after a while you you will start to get your your circle and people that you they lift you up and that are part of your journey and you couldn't believe that they weren't a part of your journey. But at first it's tough. It's definitely tough at first. Like people cook yeah. different. They look different yeah. than in Atlanta. <laughs> like, Wait, where are you from originally? Atlanta. Well, Decatur where it's greater. Uh, yep. <laughs> I'm a southerner. So the winters are also really hard for me. Ugh. Mm. What brought you to MIT? Oh, so MIT. Um, funny enough, um, in high school, I had no idea what MIT was, uh-huh. um, where it was. I didn't know what it stood for, none of that. Um, I was in my AP chemistry um, class, and um, a little bit about my my teacher, um, Mr. Lid, Mr. Brilliant Lid. He uh, he was one of the best teachers in the country at, at the time he had won Disney teacher of the uh, national Disney teacher award of the year or something like that. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, he like, like when I tell you, like I was just really fortunate to have very critical people in my life at certain moments in my life to really help shape and mold 
my my personal identity. Um, it was like he was one of those folks. Um, he was in in high school my my baseball and my um, wrestling coach. Wow. Uh, yeah, and as as well as my chemistry teacher, and he was an amazing chemistry teacher. He he knew I excelled in school, and he always was very. Um, he wasn't hard on me, but he you know he 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 pushed me. He challenged me. And every year in the mail, he got a brochure for a program called MITES. And MITES stands for Minority Introduction to Engineering and Science. And it's a six-week program, residential program, that, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, MIT offered to minority students um, uh, from all over the country um, uh, after their junior year. So, like, that's the rising seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that summer in between. Um, and... Uh, he gets the brochure every year, just like he gets it, but he never like recommends anybody really. Mm. So he, um, I think there was one other young lady that he recommended back in like 2001 or 2002. Wow. I'm not sure if she did it, uh, but he said he he predict, he he gave me the brochure. He said, "Hey Quentin, you know I would get this in the mail every year, and I think that you would be a great." Um, a great uh, candidate for this program, and I want you to really just apply to it. I, 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 what's the what's the worst that can happen? You know, the application is pretty simple. Um, I want you to what he would say, stick your neck out and have some new experiences. You gotta gotta get outside of Maywood. Right. I was thinking to myself, okay, cool, whatever, I'm gonna do it. Uh, I got in, and then when I got in, now it was like, oh shoot. I have to actually go to the East Coast by myself. Right. Uh, my mom, my mama wasn't gonna get on the plane. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and that was the first time I ever bought a plane, plane ticket. Wow. Um, and flew, you know, to Boston by myself. Um, and you know, the program had some amazing shuttles where they pick you up and everything. I get to the first day in orientation. I'm in the auditorium with all these black and brown faces that I had never seen before, and I, you know. The first thing that the program director said, he said, listen, the percentage to get into this program is 8% or something like that. Wow. Acceptance rate. Yeah. And he said, MIT's acceptance rate is 11%. So congratulations. It's actually harder to get into the MICE program than it is to get into MIT. Wow. That, that did something to my confidence. It, it just, like, completely changed my whole world and I look around and I'm seeing black and brown kids that are like brilliant, but like, like me, right. Right. Like, kind of oddballs. And, you know, half of us were from, you know, kind of, I guess what I would consider like a lower income mm-hmm. um, family. Mm-hmm. The other, the other half was, you know, uh, affluent families. Right. And so they have like that mix of socioeconomic status, but also, you know, different experiences across the country. Some people were from rural areas. Some people were from, you know, New York. Had never met anybody from New York. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, some people were from Atlanta, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just an amazing experience. Um, I learned so much that summer. And, you know, we had to not only, it wasn't only an enrichment program where you learned about STEM fields and you learned about the different uh, departments at MIT. It was also an academic uh, like rigorous curriculum that they had to give us. Like we took six classes, wow. five classes, five classes plus seminars. Right. So I had um, I tested out of chemistry because I had a very good chemistry background. Right, right, right. right. So I had to 
decided to take biochemistry, physics, never had physics before, calculus, never had even like pre-calc wow. at that point. All I had was trigonometry or something like that. Um, I had uh, biochemistry, chemistry, physics, no, biochemistry, calculus, physics, a writing class. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was crazy. That writing class was just as serious as the other one. And then, <laughs> uh, in, like, an engineering elective. Okay. And I had computer programming at the time, and I think it was just really, like, making Flash websites. Yeah. That was, I guess, a thing back then. <laughs> so, yeah. And then all of that, you know, we had midterms and finals for the six weeks. Wow. Um, yeah. And what they tried to do was simulate first semester for you at MIT. And what you'll find, specifically for people who are coming from very different backgrounds, um, even just like a fluent background, the academic environment for MIT is just like no other environment that we've ever experienced. Right. right. So you have people who are getting like, like out of 100 points, you're getting like maybe 25. Yeah, I remember, like I remember being like, how are y'all <laughs> bell curves like so insane? <laughs> Y'all were just, yeah, they were just so hard. <laughs> yeah, and, like, like it was just ridiculous. Like, and, you know, especially being, like, the program was meant, it's, it could be viewed as two, two different things, and depending on who you talk to, I mean, the program kind of represented one or the other. So one side, it was the program that enabled MIT to reach into communities that they normally wouldn't be able to pull students from right um to get really quality talent that were people of color right so that's one side right the other side was giving a very safe simulated environment for that talent to really enjoy what MIT was and then be able to see what the response is so it was like a weeder program almost yeah which is the latter is a little bit negative um, <laughs> But you know how it is. It is realistic, yeah. It is realistic, yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, like part of the uh, end of the experience, you're rated, right? You're, like you're, you're given like this like, I don't want to say rating, but like you're given a review of your, your time. Yeah. Um, qualitatively as well as quantitatively. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're, they're looking to see if there was incremental uh, improvement in your experience. Um, and so, you know, of course, I felt all of my exams the first time, mm-hmm. right? Um, my mid midterm was just very demoralizing, right? My confidence went back down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the things they teach you at that place is how to ask for help, right? And really depending on other people to really help you in those areas that you may be weaker at, or you might not even know that you are weaker. Right. Right. So, um you know, uh, once we learned how to become more collaborative as students, um, because, you know, we're, we're probably from environments where we're all, like, competing against each other and all that stuff. Um, but once we let all that nonsense go and, um, you know, we, we, we actually attended office hours, you know, to, to get extra help. Um, you know, it was a whole system that they kind of put us through and they, they tried to train us to really use the environment to our advantage. Um, you know, I, I had inc- enormous incremental uh, shifts yeah. in my performance academically there. Um, and, you know, in terms of my attitude, too, I just, you know, completely did a 
180 um, and uh, showed up at senior year. <laughs> and I realized that I had covered in those six weeks. Everything. Like, yeah, about 75% of my senior year. Wow. Wow. In calculus, I had did all of it. Wow. I did all of my year. Yeah. That's insane. So, so, yeah, I know. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. It was a life-changing moment, and that's, that's how I got to MIT. I, I applied. Um, you know, I had some good recommendations, and I had recommendations from the program, too. And, uh, yeah, I think because I knew what the situation was going to be when I got to college academically, yeah. I think it was really about finding that community at, at school that I felt like I, I belonged to. Yeah. Um, what Like, even after that, you had three very different concentrations, like mechanical yeah. engineering, architectural design, and then visual arts. Like, yep, yep. that's not even normal for, like, an MIT student to even go that deep into, like, the creative space, but let alone, like, yeah. go into, like, that many different concentrations. Like, what inspired that in you to just go for it? Yeah, pain and curiosity. Um, you know, I think because you endure so much pain in MIT, yeah. your time is, like, very precious. And so you're thinking to yourself, what am I going to do with my time that's going to cause me the most joy and mitigate the most pain and if I'm going to go through pain right I might as well be doing something I love right Right. like labor love type thing I think so I was it was sophomore year so again I I started mechanical engineering thinking I wanted to design cars okay truth is like I know nothing about cars (laughs) Um, I was only inspired to design cars when I went to the auto shows right um, in 2005 or 2006 where I saw um, all these concept models and how they had them on display and they had this big environment where you're just seeing all this amazing stuff. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize it was the, the experience. It was the brand. It was the emotion that the design of the cars was really making me feel and that's what I actually wanted to go into. Right. But, you know, I thought it was the car. So I was like, okay, I think mechanical engineering will help me design cars. <laughs> I started going through that. I started going through that curriculum. I said, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Like, like you know, it's painful. Like, in a, yes. Like, from, an engineer, <laughs> from an engineering perspective, like, you know, like, I, like, I was curious about how things work, but I wasn't that curious. Right. Like, after a while, I'm just like, well, but I don't. Like, there's a there's an emotional human quality that was missing for me in any of the curriculum. And, like, I get that, like, all these systems where I play um, to make the world around me. But I also wanted to really explore, okay, so, like, how do I now design for the humans that will be experiencing these things? Um, and I think, you know, I stuck. So I, I ultimately decided to stick with mechanical engineering because, a lot of the product design classes were later in my career, mm-hmm. um, but out of my curiosity and talking to a couple of under, um, o- um, older grad, undergrads or grad students, um, I started to learn about architecture yeah. uh, as a discipline. And I think architecture really is where I got my um, first kind of hands-on design training. So a lot of the work that architecture studios do um, early on is uh, really design thinking type of curriculum. 
So you're thinking about space, you're thinking about colors, you're thinking about um, intentionality, right? So how do you want someone to feel in this space? And then what do you want them to functionally do as a result of their feelings? You start to think about like human psychology as it relates to design. Yes. Um, and that was really fascinating for me. And so, you know, I took two studios um, and, you know, at the end of those two studios, I was like, well, okay, well, I hate buildings. <laughs> I don't really like to design buildings, but I love this process. Um, and it was a very um, isolating process compared to some of the earlier stuff that I was doing with mechanical engineering. Like, you know, I was doing a lot of group projects for mechanical engineering. I was doing a lot of um, working with other people. Architecture was this really interesting discipline where you spend a lot of time with yourself. Right. And you're, like, thinking about your pre- your personal preferences, your taste. Um, it's really about like your vision for the world. And I, I think some of the most successful architects really are in tune with their vision for the world. And it's really fascinating. Uh, but, um, you know, under the same kind of department was visual arts. And so as I was uh, trying to fulfill my, what we call it humanities, arts and science yeah. kind of um, requirement, right? We we're, uh, were required to take non-technical classes or liberal arts classes. You know, art, um, visual arts fell into those kind of that curriculum bucket. So, like, it was just easier. I was thinking, like, oh, let me just take a visual arts class. But then when I started taking them, I was like, ooh, this is good. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little technical, right? Because, you know, MIT was really about, like, like photography. There was, like, a strobe lab. Right. right? Where you're looking at, like, high-speed photography and then being able to capture something. Like, all that stuff is, you know, super technical. But the idea... Of photography, really. I, that's why I fell in love with photography, actually, um, in school um, as a junior, um, because I was able to tell a story that most that it, nobody could ever tell from my vantage point. Right. Photography is like literally what I'm seeing and how I feel about the world, and then trying to like manipulate the scene in a way that evokes whatever feeling that I want to want to um, want to express. It, it was just a, just amazing. Um, and so, yeah, my very long drawn out. No. How those all kind of made sense. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I just kind of did this evolution. Like, I followed my curiosity. I tried to run away from my pain, although the pain kind of fueled some of the curiosity. And, you know, I, I, one thing after another led me to really say, okay, I'm going to stick with this Mecky and get this Mecky degree, but I'm right. also going to pick up these two minors. Right. And see where this takes me. It's funny, um, so my mom went to MIT, and... Oh, wow. Yeah, she started... Have you told me this before? Yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago. But she started (laughs) as a mechanical engineer, and somewhere along the way, she was like, nah, this ain't... (laughs) This ain't for me. Um, And she ended up graduating from the Sloan School, like, with business analysts or something like that, but... um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was like, no, no, because she didn't know. Everybody was like, you're smart, you're good at math and science, this is what you should do. And, um, yeah, sometimes, I'm glad you, I mean, it's cool you stuck it out, but sometimes you just have to be like, yeah, learning yourself and (laughs) pivoting. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, because, you know, I think the most courageous people at MIT were the ones that acknowledged that, like, this wasn't my thing, and they either made this choice to 
um, change their majors and maybe have to deal with staying an extra year or staying an extra semester to make up because MIT like has a very stringent like set of requirements that you have to fulfill for each major. Right. And like time is again really precious. And you know I think they're the most courageous ones because you know I think there was a stigma and this fear that you had to do it in four years. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's so and it's so hard that like if you you know you leave, it's like wow, can I get back? You know. Right. Um, so a lot of a lot of fear kind of drove certain people's decisions um, in a way that like I was very fortunate to be able to have mechanical engineering as a discipline that allowed me to actually fold in that architecture's curriculum um, and and use some of that curriculum to my uh, to my to my uh, prerequisites to graduate. You know. Yeah. 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 So it all kind of fit together weirdly. Yeah. I'm glad it did. I have, I do have just one more question about um, your college experience, and I guess it's kind of twofold. First, I remember like your senior year, you're good friends with Dorian, right? Yeah, that's my that's my best <laughs> friend. Still my best friend today. That's, yeah, you were were you a freshman? Yeah, yeah, I was a freshman that year. Wow, amazing. <laughs> but I stayed up there. Like you wouldn't have known I wasn't no, in my team. No, I know. I know. Um, <laughs> I mean, did you did you date somebody on campus? No, I just like I just was always there um, with like Chance and Happy and all of them. Yeah, like awesome. But I just remember like thinking like, wow, you're really like cool and confident, and like the fact that both y'all were in visual arts and like um, all this stuff, and that wasn't normal. I thought like, wow, y'all really knew yourselves. And a part of that, I, I talking to Greg E. Hill, he talked about you kind of being someone he leaned on when um, he was going through his hardship of um, with the events and stuff like that not working out. And it seems like you've been able to be like a really good friend to people as you've been oh, on your wow. journey. How has that been like balancing like, you know, being there for other people while like, your journey is also pretty tough. Like you've been doing a lot of courageous stuff and, you know, breaking ceilings. Well, thank you. Um, wow. So, uh, funny enough, Greg Hill had his live podcast show in Oakland, uh, on, sa- on Saturday. Yes. Yeah. Um, Saturday. And I, yeah. And I, 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 I was keynote, um, speaker with my wife, actually. We, we, uh, the subject was power partnerships. Oh, I um, like that. Talked, yeah, me too. I was, I was like, okay, Greg. <laughs> um, and funny enough, you know, you mentioned Greg, and he was saying, he, you know, he mentioned a similar thing um, on the panel when we were talking about just his experiences. And a lot of that stuff, I did not know he was going through it um, when we were talking. Mm. And so that lets me know that, like, you know, I think sometimes we – it. You know, some people have a hard time being vulnerable, but, like, we just never know how we're going to touch somebody's life. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really um, important for us to really, um, re- like, or at least with philosophy that I try to try to live by is um, really try to have a positive impact wherever I go on mm-hmm. somebody or something because you just never know what somebody is dealing with, yeah. you know. Um, and most people, and I have to look at it through the lens for myself, too, because, 
you know, like I, I got to be really mindful that I don't blow up at somebody if I'm having a bad day. Yeah. Because most ch- chances are they just don't know what I'm going through, you know. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think um, one of the things that MIT really taught me uh, was the value of a community mm-hmm. and the people in that community that make up that community. Um, you know, I think the most, the best communities are the the ones that are comprised of people who are very different from each other. Yeah. Um, and really have very strong individual personalities, but really can and be confident in those in those personalities and in those interests, um, and not be felt like a like they they feel individual, but they don't feel like an outsider. And I think growing up, I just always felt like an outsider. I had a twin brother, right? Yeah. So I had somebody that I could directly relate to. Um, but in terms of feeling like there was not a community that I fit in, I think MIT was the first time where I felt like not only could I, did I fit into a community, but I felt like I could have a deep impact on the people around me. Um, and I took it, I took it to heart. Um, I, because like I always wanted a family. I always wanted a group of people around me that I trusted and that I felt like would do anything for me. And so I think the way to really cultivate that was to do the same for people, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you earn trust by really kind of being there for people, um, especially when it's not very convenient to you. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to be mindful, like I'm learning now, especially as I'm, you know, building a family myself, um, not like with kids or anything, but, you know, yeah, yeah, creating yeah. a home environment with my wife. Um, you know, I have to be a little bit more mindful of, you know, making sure that I'm putting energy into that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think it's really important to really invest in people. Yes. Uh, um, and I, I, I yeah, I, you know, I, I'm glad that people can see me as a good friend um, because I do value the people in my life. Um, for what they're able to give me, um, especially like for someone like Dorian, for example, I remember we, you know, we did mics together actually, mm-hmm. um, and maybe like halfway through the program, like we didn't really talk to each other. We were part of like kind of different like cliques, yeah. And, you know, it's easy to get a, get a hold of cliques and stuff. But like what connected us was like this, this girl that we liked. We kind of like the same girls in the program. <laughs> yeah. And so we, I remember us talking about it one one night because there was not like a tension, but there was like some little bit like a, hey, bro, what, what's good? Right, right, what's right. Good, what's good with you, bro? <laughs> like, are, you, are you trying to holler or what? Right. And uh, we bonded over that experience and we became friends. Um, and then throughout college, you know, we were just, we would always share with each other like, man, like, yeah, some of these things are dry, like, like, some of these engineers don't know how to dress. Like, <laughs> you know, like, we, I mean, we would just, we would bond over, like, the, the, the silliest things. Yeah. And, you know, he was, he was into music. Right. So, um, he would hang out a lot at Berkeley College of Music. Um, and a lot of that musical community that he was a part of stemmed from the churches that he went to. Mm. Uh, he went to, like, Morningstar. Yep, yep, um, yep. Pentecostal Tabernacle, you know, all those different churches. Mm-hmm. And so that whole, like, Boston was so amazing for just being, like, this place where you can, if you needed a community, you can pretty much find it. Yeah. You know, Boston was such a great college town. Um, and so I would go and hang out with him at Berkeley or, like, go and hang out with him, you know, at some of these other schools. 
and really build relationship and community for folks who were into the art, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, like, I mean, I think we're still kind of in that same space, of especially being out here in Silicon Valley where, yes, we are very technical in, the, in how we approach our work and, you know, um, I think, you know, kind of the engineering mindset is still kind of very much so a part of our identities. You know, we're always looking to see how can we create something um, that's really authentic to who we are as artists. Like, I think he was the first to really understand that he was an artist. Mm. Like, I am an artist and I will paint. Right. Right. I and remember the gallery, like, yeah, in the student yeah, center. Yeah. That was amazing. And I remember he, like, I mean, he stayed up nights like doing that peak that work and that yeah it was it was awesome it really was yeah 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 i think i i want to buy a piece from him now that i got a bigger space right Um, (laughs) but yeah yeah he encouraged me to think of myself as an artist too you know and i at the time i didn't really know what my medium was and i know uh communications design and and photography is definitely that that's my medium you Mm -hmm. know i didn't realize it really was yeah, you know, that's one thing, like, even as you've been talking, I've been thinking about, like, Morgan, that was my big sister, and, like, now yes, she's yes. married to Cameron and all of that, and, like, Devin, like, this, it really was, to me, uh, um, Chocolate City especially, my the first couple years while I was at Wolsey was a really safe space, like, to have fun, yes. I knew everybody, like, they have these great parties, but, like, at the same time, I felt really safe with the guys there, um, yeah. even as a young female um, who came from a very sheltered background, <laughs> mm-hmm. versus like going mm-hmm. into broader Boston, there were other campuses that like felt a little bit more dangerous because I didn't know the people and I didn't know the people's right. intention, you know. Um, absolutely, absolutely, especially as a young woman. Yeah. Um, I completely understand. And you're a young woman from a very different place, right? Like, right. Atlanta, from Decatur. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. You, funny enough, I, you know, uh, in hindsight, I probably would have, if I had a stronger sense of identity, I probably would have done Chocolate City. Yeah. Um, but the reason I didn't live in Chocolate City is because I was afraid of the stigma. Mm, um, I get that. I, I think, I think, um, to admit that to myself now, um, in hindsight, uh, but I think it was also the best decision I could have ever made too. Because I think part of my um, identity as well is to bridge the gap between very different types of people and create community. Yeah. As me being kind of the anchor for a lot of different types of people who wouldn't normally be together. Um, so, like, you know, I think I would consider my friends like Dorian and a couple other folks, Will Chin, Claxton. Yeah. We were yep. part of kind of the art kids. Yeah. Right. And they were also the gospel choir kids. Yeah. I wasn't <laughs> quite the gospel choir kids, but like, I also wasn't quite like the kind of fraternal kind of like CC brother either, yeah, right? Yeah. And I wasn't also like that, you know, chocolate suburbs, what they call it, house two. Right. I wasn't all the way that, right? And right. I wasn't all the way a dancer. And I wasn't all the way these other things, right? And I think um, part of, I think that identity was shaped a little bit by my experience in, in high school. Um, although I did feel much more comfortable at MIT, I, I also... I kind of, I knew I was some of everything, right? So, like, it was hard for me to really just kind of choose. Yeah. And then, I mean, with Chocolate City in particular, 
it was one of the most powerful places that I had ever experienced. And like that was where I learned the the power of community yeah. and the good that can come with it and also the bad, mm. right? Um, being able to, um, like they were the gateway to black people in Boston. Yes. Or Boston area. <laughs> yes. Like intellectually, but then also socially. And yep. what they created as a, as a legacy is, like unheard of i've never heard of any other black group that's had any similar impact on on any other college college campus other than you know the black fraternities and sororities um right and it's just it was just fascinating to watch them how they were very methodical in the way they networked and you know the relationships they would build on these different campuses you know how they would garner sponsorships from the institute just because of their legacy right yeah it was just really great, and it was really, um, I was very proud of that group. Um, but I also saw the drama that they dealt with, um, just because we're all young kids, right? And yeah. We're, we're developing, and we, we want our cake, and we can eat it, too. And, you know, uh, you learn, you know, uh, <laughs> you learn indirectly about um, how women were treated on campus and yeah. respect and all these different things. You know, and so it was fascinating to be a part of it without having to be it. Yeah. Right. And I'm so grateful for my experiences with them because a lot of those cats are still, I would call them big homies or, yep. you know, really good friends of mine um, that would always, you know, make the joke, oh, Roger, it's time for you to go home. Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I'll be in the business and they'd be like, this don't concern you. I'm like, Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was able. To, I was still able to be an individual around them, and they were more than welcoming of me. You know. Yeah. They, you know, I still get the the the. Bro, you just should have been at CC. You're an honorary member at this point. Like. <laughs> I I am, but I also I'm super respectful of you know what they have to go through. Um, right. Not, not like from a Hayden perspective. That was unfair to me too. Like I could just come and sign up, and if you select me, I ain't gotta get Hayden. Right. 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 But it was the work that they put in to really keep the culture of the house. Right. And so now, you know, right now, what's happening on campus is New House, which is a dorm um, on campus. What you say, it's been mm-hmm. enough time, but it was for the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, New House is um, water damage, and so they're gonna have to. They displaced all of the different houses. And, you know, New House um, is the cultural house. Right. So the place where all the cultural houses live. And so now it's interesting to understand that because they have such a strong alumni um, uh, situation in Chaka City, they're really, they're chartering Chaka City in a different, um, in different dormitory space. Mm. And so, like, you know, I think they, they put so much into the culture like I, I think it's going to be just fine right but you know the challenges of going into a space where cultural houses are just not the identity right so right all the all the political bullshit they're going to have to experience with, uh, with that it's going to be really amazing it's going to be really cool to have people who are in my class and older people really kind of stand up for the community that has such a um strong impact on their on their personal identity you know so i definitely really get dope. it i definitely get it um, how was the shift going to digital LBI um, after, you know, college and working a little bit? 
how did you feel? Uh, well, first, how did you end up there? It's a pretty amazing marketing firm. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, so, you know, going through that transition in college, I ended up doing a, uh, a program called MLT, which is Management Leadership for Tomorrow. And it's um, similar to Mike. It's a program that exposes, um, you know, minority talent, college students mm -hmm. uh, across the country um, to kind of like Fortune 500 companies in hopes to not only um, help them transition into a corporate gig, but give them the training to do it, right? And so it was a professional development program. So right. full curriculum for a year and a half. We had personal coach. We had coaches, right, one-on-one um, -on -one coaches, and then also we would attend conferences. Right, that would teach us about everything from interview prep to your elevator pitch to really learning deep, deep learning of your industry that you're interested in and stuff. And I ended up doing it because I was like, well, you know, this, I while I don't know what I'm doing with my major, I might as well <laughs> this thing. Right. Right. <laughs> and see if there's other things that I could be interested in. And so marketing was a, was a uh, topic. But when I started to learn about marketing, I was like, ooh, there's like a lot of creative stuff in there. I didn't even know what it was called. The things that I see that I want to do, but this business stuff is just boring. So, uh, so my, um, I was asking all these questions to my coach, and she was finally she just said, listen, you should just take a marketing class. You know, one of those throwaway classes that you don't need to graduate, but you may learn something in it. So just go ahead and do it. I was like, okay, cool. I'll take this marketing class. And did it as presented, and I was a junior at the time. So you can see a lot of parallels between like my baseball coach who told me about MIT mm -hmm. and then this MLT coach that told me about marketing, that right. taught me about marketing and tried to expose me to something different. And so um, I got the information. Uh, so I took this marketing class and digitized presented at one of the classes and they were, you know, it was a recruiting kind of class, but I mean, granted, they were recruiting, like, marketing analytics candidates and stuff like that. And I'm, like, the little kid was, like, hey, so you just saw, like, a sizzle video of, like, your, your Bank of America work. You know, I, I like that video. Who made that video? I was asking all these offbeat questions and all right. that stuff. But they gave me their information, and I, they, they fed me into their internship program. Wow. And uh, I interviewed. Yeah, and I, I, um, I didn't make it through the first time, so I... I mean, I went the first round, they interviewed me for an analytics position, and I brought my portfolio, and they were a little confused, <laughs> but, you know, I worked on the case study, I, I did some other things, I hadn't heard back from them, I thought I left the interview for about three weeks. Yeah. I get a phone call and say, hey, actually, um, you're an interesting candidate, um, I have an opportunity in creative for you um, that I want you to come and interview for. Mm. And it was an, the most informal interview I've ever had in my life. I came with my book, and I was showing my work to um, to uh, to one of the art directors that ended up becoming my manager. And he was like, okay, cool. Um, I got that internship. Wow. And uh, Yeah, so that's where I got my crash course learning in, um, in marketing and advertising. And I got back to school as a senior. And I maxed out on all my design classes and all my visual arts classes to try to make sure that I was good um, for a full-time job, you know. And uh, they offered me a full-time. And I stayed with Digitas for four years in total, two and a half in Boston 
and then a year and a half in uh, New York. And how are those experiences for you as like an art director and um, a senior experience designer? Yeah, so I mean, very humbling. Um, I think the art director role, uh, it was it was like I was in undergrad all over again. I think the intensity of like the curriculum wasn't there, yeah. but like just feeling like I had to play catch up was very evident in my experiences there. Um, and uh, I was just learning, always learning. I was learning about office politics. I was learning about, you know, how to be regimented and how I approach my work, um, how to really, um, you know, kind of really kind of die to my ego mm-hmm. um, in the sense of, like, thinking that because I am smart, that means I can run the company. Right, right, right. Make decisions. Yeah, yeah. I felt that when I first started out, so I get that. Yeah, Yeah, intelligence doesn't make a difference. Um, Relationships do, right? And so I had to learn that really, um, really, uh, really early because, you know, I think oftentimes, I think uh, especially our generation, um, we're a bit more um, idealistic and aspirational mm-hmm. than I think the, the, the previous generation, which is a good thing, um, but we also can be a little entitled. And I think a lot of things that you have to do day to day on a job comes a lot from experiences and learning how to work with very different personalities. Yeah. Um, rather than just you being really smart. I think there are people who are really smart and they do really well, especially in individual contributors like roles right right um but a lot of times those folks are left uh, in those in those roles that i see roles yeah uh, while the other folks who learn how to really leverage relationships and manage and all those different things tend to kind of rise into a position where now they're having influences on a lot of different types of people right and so like especially i'm more so referencing more of that traditional corporate environment that's, yep yep that's yep. what it was right and so you know, I think my whole world got rocked when I joined the startup, but I did use a lot of what I learned, um, not just about technically how to do something, but, you know, um, how to really work with people. Mm-hmm. I used, I brought a lot of that to my experience here, um, and it worked out super well. Um, I think... You know, how I got to New York and did experience design. So the fundamental difference between, like, art direction and experience design, um, especially when it comes to digital marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, art direction was more about um, this is the story that we're going to tell within this marketing channel. And so that marketing channel could have been a banner ad, could have been a website, like a fixed, uh, promotional area of a website. It could have been through a video. Right? But it was really much so the story that we're going to tell and how it's tied back to the brand. Um, Whereas experience design was a, a little bit more of the technical um, space yeah. of creating experiences, but the but the experience or the story was through the website, okay, um, and through and through the mobile app, right? And so it was a bit more embedded into the technology side of things, mm-hmm. and so uh, I made that natural kind of leap uh, through my curiosity, right? Once again. <laughs> I was uh, especially because I, I think at the time web was transitioning officially from you know kind of like these static sites that you have to create three different versions to accommodate 
the different screen sizes that were happening because tablet was kind of like a you know kind of a, a new thing which is really weird to say yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah it was evolving the landscape was evolving and i think um i wanted to evolve with it and uh yeah i mean traditional advertising is great um and i think there's still a need for really telling compelling stories and i understand why they're why they're pretty separate yeah but, um I think now I'm doing, or at least experiences that was more about not only are you thinking high level what the story is, you might not be executing granularly on what the story is, but you're thinking high level the story, but you're thinking about the house that it lives in too, right? And how the house relates to the block that it lives in. Right. Right. So it's not just the window dressing, you know what I mean? You know, and that's yeah. like approach that I, I try to take with events and I get frustrated when people don't look at their business events as like, it's a way of telling your story and who you are, you know, and your brand, because outside of this, it's just words on a paper, you know, like, but when you go to event, you get to see what that company or nonprofit cares about and how do they perceive the issues that they're supposed to be fighting or solving with their services or products. And when they don't and you see like the template kind of thing and it's like mm-hmm. i'm sure like on the web design you you have something similar of seeing like template designed it, it loses its, its impact it loses its like the impression that it's going to make on that donor or client um okay. can you slap anybody's logo on there and if you like yep this is your app it's the same app that red cross could use or like the event you know Ah, so like when yeah, you yeah no absolutely you know yeah you know I think it's the luxury of the one percent right mm-hmm. I would say that um, as Americans especially folks who are cultured and educated in the way we are I mean we are you know we have the luxury to be able to think about these things yeah um, and 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 you know kind of I I always tease myself I'm like man. Especially even in context of where I grew up, man, you know, if people would say I had it easy, you know. Yeah. Um, but what you were saying about really being um, in tune with, or like trying to bring kind of the human element, that's at least how I understand yeah. it, um, bring that level of um, authenticity that can only come through people's interaction with, you know, more emotion, right? It yeah. doesn't even have to be person, but like, like, you know, what makes the experience that you're creating in this event unique to how people are experiencing, whether it's networking, whether it's the content that you're showing them, whether it's they're the people that are next to them, right? Because, right. you know, some events are highly curated in the sense of like you want very certain people there because you know what type of interaction they're going to have exactly you know i think those all those things are always super important and not everybody can do it and i think sometimes especially with creatives um i noticed a lot of business people um really trivialize the importance of design uh or design thinking because i believe everybody is a has the power to be a designer um because design doesn't mean just visual and it, it means like structure, processes, hierarchy. Um, it's problem solving, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, you 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 have folks who just don't don't really value it until I mean, or the way they value it is very askew. Yeah. And like, and it's design that makes you want to become a mechanical engineer because the way that the auto show was set up just made you, you know what I mean? Like it moved you versus it just being in a glass box and be like, hey, take it as it is, you know, like we don't care about the lighting on here or like your friend's art gallery thing, you know, exhibit. And making it feel like you actually felt like this is what my nostalgic over it, even though it was the first time you yeah. went there. And that yeah. he cared yeah. about all the details to like the logo being on the cupcakes and stuff. Like it makes a difference. And you're going to take that memory with you for a long time versus right. the next week you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. You, we did, you did do that. <laughs> like, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's really cool. Um, you you, you did a good job tying it all together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, yeah, no, um, huh. What are some, like, as you look at people, um, who send out invitations for their events or, like, gatherings, it could be any kind, whether it's, like, nonprofits or stuff you even see on, like, Facebook, what are some things that you say, like, really detract from it or like make you say like nah I probably wouldn't want to go to this one yeah yeah so if we're talking about people that I don't know mm-hmm. most of the time that I do well, most of the things that I know or do here um, are people that I know or some sort of connection to someone that I know and it feels a little bit more fluid and more in a way that I don't pay attention to the way the event is designed or the way the, um, the communication for the intention of the event, right? So yeah. I don't really, like, I, I, I've had the luxury of being able to circle navigate all that stuff. Yeah. But if it was something that, like, just really caught my interest, um, I'm looking for, um, are they explaining what they're about in the most concise way? Yes. Because my attention span yes. is so short. Um, good design or even, you know, a good experience is being able to capture and tell a story within a very short amount of time, and it's just understood. It's almost like when two black people are walking past each other and they had the head nod. The nod, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Like, it's just understood. It's felt. Right. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's human, yeah. And so most of the time, that what stands out to me, and sometimes, you know, I'm very forgiving in the sense of, like, um, I'm a designer, right? So right. Now, or like I'm a visual designer. Um, and not everybody has <laughs> the gift or the, the, <laughs> right? Right. Or the they can afford it, right? Because, you know, as much as I was talking about how some, I don't think some like kind of folks, business folks value it, um, a lot of it is just, I think, design is just expensive. Yeah, it right? is. And so... If you can get like like just good design, right? It's expensive on your time, right? So if we're talking about any kind of organizational process or yep. anything that is, you know, meant to make work efficient, like that's expensive or it's an investment, right? Right. And then if we're talking about visualization and stuff like that, we and we can just talk straight up like producing videos, getting an art director to 
to create flyers, posters. That's all. That's like that. And edits and all of that. Yeah. And edit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's expensive. It's an investment. So uh, while I think the, the irony is sometimes I don't know if business folks really kind of value it. Yeah. But I think sometimes they do. They just think it's expensive or they can do without it. Yeah. But then you see, like, for me, I see things that I feel like you just need to invest in it because it's your brand. It's how people think of you, you know, like, and up here, I see a lot of people because we have a lot of nonprofits in in, um, Southeast Michigan. Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of flyers that have, like, paragraphs about, like, just, it's just a lot of text. And yeah. I'm coming, like, I'm coming from a research background, and I don't want to sit here and read all of this. Like, yeah. Is it, or it's too, it's supposed to be for teens, but it, it sounds like somebody's parent wrote this, like, for school. It just, it's too, for, yeah. it's, like, the language isn't right for the, for the occasion, I see that a lot, you know. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. That's so true. And you know, I think, uh, I think I forget which book it is, um, but it's all about branding or something like that. It's like a business person wrote about branding. Yeah. Um, kind of in the age of like saturation, like there's so many things um, that are you know in our environment that do the same thing especially when you could talk about business right there's so many businesses that do the same thing and now in the age of the brand it's all about differentiation exactly um and how do you stand out and most of the time the people who stand out um i don't say most of the time people who always stand out is that their service is incredible Mm -hmm. right yeah uh or if they're Ability to tell a story, it's just it's just amazing. Right. right. Like those are the those are the things that stand out, right? And um, like for Walker and Company where I work now, uh, I think Tristan had it right to really invest in the storytelling and the visualization of the Bevel identity mm-hmm. when we started, because one of the things that drives our our culture. It's perception. It is. It is. It is literally like perception, right? It, yeah. it is the visual. I mean, and in order to sell, especially to the black and brown demographic, you have to elevate the perception. But you also, or not even sell to the black and brown community, but to sell to the white folks, especially if you're trying to service black and brown folks. Yeah. You have to. You have to elevate the aesthetic in a way that. Um, that uh, just makes just just makes you undeniable. Right. And you know? d- do y'all work with forum? Oh, forum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. So, so yeah. So forum was my uh, that was the big, that's been the big project that I've worked on in the last uh, for the last year. Um. Yeah. So I worked on everything from the website design to really try to have as much influence over the the product and aesthetic. I know your husband point just went up like twenty at least. Like, yes, your husband points like have oh. <laughs> being married to like 
a woman of color and and you over here with the hair care products come on now come on you know, i think i think it uh it, it really changed when she tried it for the first time like she was very skeptical um <laughs> uh, to try it and um you know i i mean most women would be uh mm -hmm. i don't blame them right because they're like okay I want my hair a certain way. Right. I found some sort of system that works for me. Might not be the best, but I found it. Yeah. And like on important days, I can't be taking risks like this. Exactly. Right? So it was a weekend where she finally, and this was like maybe three months after she, uh, after we launched. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, I, the whole time I've been using like white labels, like samples for the last like six to eight months right right, right. i've been using it in my hair but she's like mm, mm -mm. I'm gonna stick to what I like. right right <laughs> it was a it was a weekend where she was like listen i'm just gonna do the twist out i'm gonna try because i ain't got nowhere special to be fuck me up <laughs> so i said thank you cool let's uh let's 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 go through the whole product tutorial shall we right so i laid out the products for her. i told her what everything did um, the order in which she should use them for the best results. Mm -hmm. And them curls came back popping. Yes. I've never, she said, I've never felt my hair feel this good. Yeah. And I was like, wow. So I knew we had something. Um, yeah. I think, you know, uh, it's a marketing problem now. Um, and it's an experience problem, right? Like, can we build a service, a service-led or design-led business? Um, in a way that makes sense for the women that we're trying to convince to come to us and stay with us, stay with us for life, especially at the price point that we're getting. Right. Um, um, you know, our 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 um, products are on par with us with other price points. Right. Um, right. Within the category, right? But I think because you know our 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 products are designed specifically with people in color of color in mind. It's, a, it's kind of a stretch because I think the products normally marketed to us are lower tier. Um, yeah. So, okay. I'll be honest. I went through the process, right, myself. Yep. And this was before I, I really knew that you were a part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, I was prompted by listening to my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts, The Read. And yep, yep, yep. Um, I was like, okay, okay. I know I need to get some more conditioner because I'm out of conditioner, and um, I don't know what I'm going to try next because your hair does kind of get used to whatever you have for a long time. I went yep. through the um, the questionnaire that it has you yep. do. I liked that a lot. At first, I was okay. skeptical because I was like, okay, they're going to ask me, like, does my hair float in the water type of stuff? I don't know. I'm natural, right, right. but I'm not that kind of natural. Right. <laughs> right, right. We were actually very uh, deliberate in not asking those types of questions. You know, I think the way if your hair floats in the water, that's all, all about porosity. Uh, I think that, like, you can get deeper with people, um, uh, but, you know, for our quiz, that's not the place to be deep. Yeah, yeah. That's our, that's our philosophy, at least. Yeah, that that could be like another page, like if you want a deeper assessment mm -hmm. kind of thing. But I mm -hmm. liked it. I, mm -hmm. I liked the process. I liked the visuals that went along with it. I thought that it was all like really high quality shots. And so it didn't feel like, oh, okay, this is startup mom and pop kind of thing um, that I'm supporting. Mm -hmm. 
um, or that it had like a super outdated website, but I'm over here because I, I support the ingredients that are, are in the product. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I like that it really did explain what each product was supposed to do and how I use it in the routine. I like that a lot because normally you would never get that. You would never just, you would never have someone on a website show you this is the the reason why you're using, this is why we suggested it to you. No, not at all, right? And uh, I mean, we even are trying to push us to give more information mm-hmm. because based on your results, we're able to tell you exactly how much product you use yeah. and how often you should use it, which makes a whole lot of difference when you have very different types of hair, right? So right. You, on a regular based on your lifestyle, or even based on your hair type, should, you know, you should shampoo more. Right. Right? And and those are things that are a little touchy because, you know, especially when you talk about someone with a tighter curl pattern, you know, shampoo has been, right, uh, recently been kind of demonized in a way. Because exactly. Because it, it strips your hair. Yeah. Right? But, but shampoo is really important uh, to really kind of take away buildup. Yeah. So most people don't know that their hair is dry um, because of their product buildup. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, like, it's a lot of things that I learned in the process of designing the experience. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, as a designer, I mean, I'm just kind of, I create some of the things that we made because I'm a perfectionist. So I'm yeah, like, right. This is, I could have done this better, but. You know, I think some people always remind me, Quentin, you, you made this. Like, yeah, it's, it's also, like, I also love the bottles. Yeah. I like the colors that they come in. Um, oh, I think that usually our, the colors that they give us are always brown, which is kind of yeah. like a little depressing because, like, also I'm brown. So, like, I don't need everything. Like, I want a little pop <laughs> of something. But underneath right, the right, tones, right. you have the shades of brown. I feel like they're kind of warm, even though they are colors. You know, so it felt kind of like close to something that would be for me, but not still like the predictable. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, um, we just we just approached it as if we didn't know anything else on the show. Yeah. Although we did our full audit, right? Right. Um, <laughs> like um, even the way the information is represented on the bottle, right? While I don't think it's perfect. It is completely disruptive to how anybody markets. Right. Um, you know, and I think uh, it was just it was just a very special project to work on, just because like in the back of my mind, I'm just like I'm making this for my for my my wife. Yeah. I'm making this for my mama. Yeah. You know, I'm making I'm making this for me too because I, I use all the products. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm making this for my future daughter right right um so that was that was really nice um it felt like a care it felt like a care for me because data really helps you connect with a lot of different people um in a way that you you, you wouldn't be able to yeah right? um but you still have a lot of businesses i mean including our business is not perfect right right uh, right we, right we're trying to make sure and like our people because a business is run by people mm-hmm. right um you know, sometimes that old way of thinking or that, like, kind of, you know, traditionalist type of thinking kind of creeps in. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, like, you got to have the courage to listen to the, what the data is saying. And yeah. you got to, first of all, acquire the data. But then you got to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? 
I hope I hope to see y'all on like um Kim Kimball's show, LA Hair and something, and having her <laughs> use up uh, all the stars. Be like Beyonce yeah. all of a sudden has for them and whatnot. Um Ooh, that would be the dream. God. <laughs> Let's just oh speak God. it. We, We're speaking it now. <laughs> uh, oh, absolutely. Um Felicia Leatherwood who is um was a um a celebrity stylist. Um, she uses the product on like Issa Rae's hair and yeah. you know, she um she has a couple other clients that really love our products. Um and like yeah, we wanna be able to say, Hey, this person used it. But you know, we also wanna be very mindful that like Of course. You know, we want we want people to champion us because of what we provide them, not just, you know, kinda of take advantage of the fact that this person is using this. Yeah. Because um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if this person's using it. These other 10,000 people won't buy your product. Then you, I mean, like, they're not going to, like, especially women of color. Right. I mean, they're influenced by people, but they're influenced more if it works. Exactly. Right? Let let a girl, yeah. let one of my girlfriends tell me they found something that works for their twist out. I will buy that right. so quick. <laughs> right. So quick. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mother, I love Sense of Beauty and what they did uh-huh. to the market. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my. I'm still, like, everybody shook over that. Like, Beyonce's yeah. not the only one who can stop the world because that, that Fenty, right. that did a lot. Um, before I let you go, I wanted to ask yeah. you about your experience being the creative curator for TEDx Youth at Charles River. Okay. Um, oh, good. How did you... Coming to that role, and like, what was that experience like curating that event? It was good. I, you know, um, it was basically the power of relationships. I was still at Digitas in Boston um, at the time, and uh, a couple of my friends from undergrad, one being Kevin Rosagi, um, mm-hmm. who at the time he was a co founder of Ministry of Supply, which is a um, uh, clothing brand mm-hmm. that is kind of gotten pretty big. Um, he invited me to help out um, with some of the visual art stuff and the marketing stuff um, with our mutual friend, Luis Navia, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. was on the TED, the TED board. He was like participating as a volunteer in TED and he was the one who was able to charter the TEDx. And so that was a really amazing experience because um, there was one other person that was helping out with the project, and um, it was an undergrad at Harvard. It was amazing. It was amazing to uh, kind of sprint towards really curating a very unique group of um, young people to speak about issues that they really cared about. Um, I developed a lot of cool friends from that from that community. Um, but it was all curated by um, um, Luis Navia, who built all these wonderful relationships during his time in Washington, D.C., mm. and his time at Harvard. And, like, there are a lot of different people, a lot of different um, young people. Some were, you know, in their early 20s. Some were still college students or finishing up college. Um, these were really high-impact young people that were really passionate about it. Everything from mental health to um, uh, computer science and artificial intelligence. Wow. And all these other things. Yeah, it was amazing. 
and it was I would consider it it wasn't high budget, right? In yep, yep, like yep. How much money we did we we put into it because it was a lot of, a lot of it was bootstrap. Um, but what we tried to do, calling it Charles River, we tried to kind of bring people from throughout Boston together in a way that a lot of the schools would keep them separate, right? So a lot of these, like, you know, like you had, like, folks who were in Northeastern, um, you know, and they were doing their thing. Yeah. And while there may have been some relationship with other folks on other campuses, right, Northeastern was very much Northeastern. Yeah, they that felt, like, very uh, standalone. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you had like other places like Tufts, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, um, you know, all these different places. We wanted to just really kind of not make it an MIT thing or make it a Harvard thing, right? Because half of us were from MIT, the other half were Harvard, <laughs> we were planners. Uh, we wanted to make it a community thing, like a like how many people from all over the place can we bring together to celebrate kind of this meeting place, right? It, it was literally just excuse for us to hang out with these incredible people, people who were on, uh, you know, 30 under 30, right? right? Like, these are, these are, like, ridiculously talented, like, individuals, so, it was, it was, it was, it was amazing, I, I mean, for me, a lot of the upfront work was the marketing aspect, so I did the website, did all the uh, branding materials for it, all the promotional flyers for it, and I helped curate kind of like the dinner that we had before beforehand. Yeah. Um, to you know, bring it together all the speakers. Um and then I also helped with uh really the day event uh, logistics. I was like a producer on the ground running around and making sure everybody was queued up and everything. Um but yeah, like it was um you know, I like it was it was just great. It's a great experience. I learned a lot about myself, I learned about what my strengths were. Um, I learned about how to collaborate with people long distance because that yeah. was the first time I ever had to do that. Um, but yeah, it was just a really good thing to be a part of. I could dig it. I could dig it. So, like, what would you tell your? I want to say sophomore, sophomore in high school. So before you did the mice program and all these amazing things, like. What would you tell yourself about the person you you become or you becoming? Um, I would say I gave a similar answer at the live podcast. Yeah. I'm gonna change it. I was okay. <laughs> let me change it. <laughs> Whatever's like you know whatever you're feeling. Yeah. So as a sophomore, um, oh, it's okay to be scared. Mm-hmm. especially about what you don't know. But it's not okay to allow that, that fear to make a decision for you. Mm. So um, I think as a kid, especially when it came to experiencing people, especially in high school, um, when I was, I already felt like I was an oddball. Right. Um, I, I think I experienced... Um, I would say I I had this fear of like putting myself out there and like not knowing if someone was going to check me or, you know, if I had an idea, I wouldn't necessarily speak up about it. 
I was just, I was just afraid of everything. You know, I was afraid of maybe getting to know someone yeah. um, that was outside of like my normal pattern, right? In fear that they wouldn't like me. Yeah. Right. And or whatever. And I, I, I remember it's, it's, a, it's hard to be a teen. It is um, so hard. <laughs> like so I feel hard. for them. <laughs> Especially in the technological age, I, I can't right. imagine because at the time, Facebook was just like becoming a thing, but it wasn't exactly. like for high schoolers. Like Facebook didn't even come out until like or for high schoolers until like 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 after when I started college, right? Right. Because like it was just exclusively college campuses. It started out as like two college campuses, and then it turned into one college campus, like to everybody's college campus, and then it's like everybody. Right. So uh, it was. It was weird because, like... And now they have, like, Snapchat and stuff. Like, oh, my gosh. Right. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> I it's feel too so much. old. I can't imagine growing up. can't imagine growing up now. No. Um, but, like, like you know, coping with social anxiety and, like, you know, being able to to develop human relationships, like, that shit, that shit is... Um, it's hard. It's hard. And I just, you know, I wish I would have, as a kid... Uh, really understand that it's okay to be scared, but just do it anyway. You'll learn something from it, even if it's very incremental in what we do. Right? You don't have to just go out and jump off a cliff. But like, even if you, you know, kind of take one, 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 one step down the side of a mountain. Yeah. That's incremental progress, right? And, you know, you you get a you get a taste of what that's like, and then you ease your way into it. Right. You know. Yeah, things are not a black and white as I thought they were when I was younger. Yeah. And I'm glad, you know, I had a, a, an opportunity when I went to Boston to be able to just really, um, I don't want to say recreate my identity, but really try to be everything that I want to be without that, like, that fear. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Like, that whole process post my junior year in high school just was about really facing my fear. Yeah. And I think I just would have wished, you know, earlier I would have been able to go through that process. But I think the timing of it was perfect, right? So Right, right. I don't regret it. Definitely. And so how can people follow you on social media or, like, reach out to you? Yeah. Um, so it's just my name, Quentin Harris. Um, with two N's. T-U-I. Yeah, with two N's. So <laughs> T-O-N-H-A-R-R-I-S. Um, so that's all of my social handles. And then my email is um, quintonharris at gmail.com. So no no dots, no spaces. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. I, um... Yeah, thank you so much. This is a, it's, it's always great to unpack some of these thoughts that I'm having. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You, you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Wow, the content was off the charts for this interview. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Quentin and that you learned a lot about design and thinking about the importance of design and marketing and the impact that it can have on people who are attendees at your event. 
I also want to give again a special thanks to Quentin for joining us and taking the time out to be on the Reality Vets podcast. And I want to thank you all, our dedicated listeners, for joining us on another episode, as well as for subscribing and rating us on the podcast app, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. I also appreciate hearing your feedback and um, support on social media. So please continue using our social media handle at real events that's r-i-e-l-l-e underscore e-v-e-n-c-s until next time sai jian